Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. Jesus, the power that it has to change our lives. We're not just 
talking about a fairy tale. We're not just telling a story. But most of us here have experienced the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. I know that there are some who are not here today and they're sick. And it grieves our hearts when our, when our body is sick, right? But that's where trust comes in. Yep. Yeah. You know, when you feel so awful, you don't think you can get out of bed. The best thing to do Thank you, Jesus. is just turn your eyes upon him and say, I trust you. Yes. I may not know what you're doing, but you do. Yeah. And this has been a couple of years of, of having to trust him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a little wild, a little strange, and I'm so thankful on this side of it. Yeah. I lost both of my parents during the pandemic. And it was tough on the big family to lose our patriarch and our matriarch. But you know what? Now we're living what they taught us. Taught us how to love Jesus. Taught us how to trust Him. Taught us how to sing when we're blue. Sing when we don't know we're going to make it through. I don't know if they can see us or not. I pretend like they can. And I think if they could, they'd be looking down and saying, Yep, I'm right there with you. I'd be just shouting those aisles right there with you.
that is looking to you. Right. You yes, are sir. the light in right. the right. Right. Arizona. And we're excited about this lighthouse of truth, That's this right. place where the gospel is being proclaimed. And, uh, you know, I can't speak for all the other churches, but I do know that this will be a lighthouse of truth in this area. Right. And, uh, and we want to do more. And part of that is, is uh, you know, uh, of course, extending this understanding that we are building new churches. We have opportunities in our district for new church plans. So we've opened up a website. Uh, you can either scan or you can go to az-nam.com. And there's Arizona opportunities there. And we only have about three that are highlighted right now, but we want to just keep adding to the list because there's so many areas in Arizona where we could have a church. We have a lot of towns, especially remote areas, who have no United Pentecostal church. We have larger cities that are underserved. Right, Maybe sir. there's one church for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Right, right, uh, right. We're in Gilbert. One church and 250,000 people, right. quarter million people. Uh, Chandler has one church with 250,000 right, people. Right. Mesa has over a half million people, yeah. one church. Right. So it's it's more than we can do. That's right. And then you, you go out, of course, uh, uh, Key's uh, president here in Section 3, and he's told us about different areas he sees as potential for churches. Right. And we want to get the word out. Yes, sir. Amen. Not just uh, at home, but yes. anywhere yes. people begin to feel a call. Yes, There's opportunities in, in Arizona, yes. places where they can uh, come to, to minister and see God do some amazing things. So we want to continue building that and highlighting those things. One of the programs through North American Missions is Christmas for Christ. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Christmas for Christ, but once a year, North American Missions receives an offering for Christmas for Christ. Well, this is uh, an opportunity to help build churches. Uh, it supports missionaries that will go to North American areas to start a church. No, you know, it's not, it's not making a lot of money, but sometimes it's enough to get by. And, and to help build, buy property, buy a building. And so this is where those funds go. And we've been the recipient right here in Section 3, uh, Brother Abel Salcido has so right. been helped through Christmas for Christ to, to get their building upgraded, to get the electric more dependable, and really right. beyond the 100-watt service, or 100-amp service. Yeah. yeah, my watts and amps, I'm not an electrician, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but that's, uh, uh, that's some of the things that happen with Christmas for Christ. And I really believe in this. Because it is an opportunity to give, not just help Arizona, but to help all across North American uh, churches. And this is uh, the United States and Canada. So that's, that's the focus of Christmas for Christ. And so I encourage you, as you're, as you're preparing for Christmas, you know, and you want to buy for people. But also set aside a gift that you're going to give to build churches. Amen. And uh, talk to Brother Keys about this. He wants us to come and just present that. And, and here's the reason I, I believe it so much. Uh, we went to Peoria in 1989. You know, that was the last millennium. And, and we went to start a Christmas for Christ Church. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I love to say, don't I? Yes, <laughs> uh, I may have uh, put on a few pounds. Hallelujah. Our kids grew up, and that, that all happens. But we went there, and we had church in our home for uh, three years. We had a family room that we'd turn into church. You're talking about uh, 
taking the chairs out and putting tables out. That's what we did every week, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's what you do when you have to, you know. But um, we started in our home, and then after three years, we was able to buy this little 1,100 square feet uh, church, you know. <laughs> it was it was not as big as this. So uh, not as big as this, this warrior. And uh, so we, we had church there, and the Lord blessed, and, and we got up to run about 50 in that little church. And, uh, and then the Lord called us off to somewhere else, but that church went on. Uh, there's been three pastors. Brother Davis was there for about 13 years, Brother Stacy Wiley has been there since. They've got a beautiful church now on Grand Avenue. And I thank God for those beginnings. And I thank God for Christmas for Christ. Because they helped us buy that little house. <laughs> and that was awesome. Praise God. And so that's why I believe in it so much. Uh, you know, through Christmas Christ, what well, we used to be Sheaves for Christ, now Move the Missions or Youth Division. Both of those helped us when we went to buy that, that church. Of course, you know, back then it was, I think, uh, around $40,000 for that, you know. Boy, that was a lot of money, you know. <laughs> How are we going to ever do that? But uh, we put some money down, and, and he, uh, the guy that owned it, he, he let us make payments to him. But uh, we just, we just, you know, kept paying on that. And the Lord blessed, and the Lord helped us. Amen. And we're thankful for those yeah. beginnings. Amen. Somebody right. came to Safford sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Back, yeah. uh, who was it? Brother Craig. Brother Craig. Long time ago. But, you know, he started something here. And then the Keys family have carried it on through years and years. And so it's, it's exciting to see how churches progress and grow. Right. But we've got to remember where they start. Okay. They start with that church plan. Yes, and we want to help others to do that very thing. In, in Arizona, we have uh, four that are North American missionaries right now. Brother Jared Young and his family are in Avondale and doing a great work. Uh, there, uh, Brother Abel Sassil and his family down in Douglas, they took a, a declining church and, and been able to bring it back and renovate it. They've got it looking nice. They've uh, uh, you know, really upgraded, and I believe God has, has blessed their efforts there. Brother Jose Tepete is in, in uh, South Phoenix, one of the kind of central Phoenix, and has a Spanish word there, and uh, they're doing good. Brother Frank Garcia and his family are in Coolidge. Uh, that's down south of uh, Gilbert, uh, a ways. It wouldn't be so far if you didn't have to go around the mountains. But you know, you know how that is. Yeah. When you go from here to Tucson or here to Phoenix, you got to go around a lot of mountains. So, uh, but we thank God for all of these uh, North American mission, uh, missionaries, and we're thankful that others are, are considering a start or church plans, church daughter works, and we're excited to be, be a part of that. That's, that's where we're at. So the challenge uh, the last few years in, in North American missions has been the next town. Right. And, and we want to get the focus off of just we're raising money every year, but there's a reason for it, that it is to reach another town. Right. And, and uh, I've talked with your pastor, you talked about you know, the areas around here and what we can do to reach out to those areas. And so I believe God is going to open up some doors. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. If you'd like to consider that, maybe a couple of you could help. Just if you just raise your hand if you'd like one of these envelopes, and uh, you can make a pledge. You can you can give to, today. It'll go to the church here and uh, go with your offering for this year. That that uh, QR code will not work. We we use that for Arizona 
uh, on fire, but you can give all your, your offerings right here in the local church, and it will, it will go to uh, Christmas for Christ to help with this. So if that's something you'd like to look at, and uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can ask me, but Brother, Brother Keys knows, knows about this and can help you with that. Praise God. I want to go to the next town. Jesus said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come. Oh, we got to remember our mission. This is why we're here. <laughs> Whatever it is, we want to continue to spread the gospel. We want to do the work of God. We want to see more churches established. More daughter works. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about some of that as we go along. Amen. Amen. But now I'm going to shift gears and we're going to go to the word of the Lord. Amen. I don't know what time you get out. Don't tell me. <laughs> Amen. But, uh, you know, you've already missed lunch. You might as well stay with us till then. Praise God. Uh, but we wanna, I'm going to take it, take it back a little bit. Talk about where we've come from. Yes, and most importantly, where we're going. I believe God Amen. is moving. Yes. He's doing yes. some yes. amazing things. Let's read from Titus chapter 3. Uh, you're in the habit of standing. That'd be great. Go ahead and stand. Uh, Titus 3, 4 through 6. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, Amen. he saved us. Yes, by the washing of regeneration. Yes, sir. By the renewing of the Holy Ghost, yes, which he shed on us abundantly yes. through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, thank you. Paul writing to Titus. Yes, sir. Let's look at it in another translation, the New Living Translation. It said, when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, yes, sir. because of his mercy, right. he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Right. Amen. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Amen. His mercy, yes, his life. Yes, Let's thank sir. the Lord for his word. Thank you, God. Love you, love you. Thank you, Lord. For salvation, I, I preached one here. I experienced the Holy Spirit. I receive your touch today. In the name of Jesus, we believe in you. Praise God, praise God. It's coming, it's coming in Jesus. And you can be seated. May the Lord bless you. Praise God. I'd like to speak to you today on a second Azusa. A second Azusa. Revival in our time. 
The works of God are not isolated to one single place. But a convergence of many acts and moves of the Spirit. God is moving here, right, right here at this right, church. Right, right. But this isn't the only place. Thank God. Right. <laughs> He's moving in Gilbert, and I can't ever get to thinking, well, it's here. This is where it's happening, nowhere else. No, God is doing a sovereign work yes. around the world. Yes, sir. God is touching places just like this today in many parts of the world. There is a move of the Spirit. Amen. This church, of course, we can go back to the book of Acts. That's our kind of our starting point. Right. Foundation of the church. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The establishment of believers. How they spread throughout the then known world. And right. Right. we can go back to that. Right. But in more recent times, we tend to go back to 1906. The Azusa Street Revival. So I'm going to give a little of that background here today. That renewal, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. I just, I personally believe, though we may not be able to document it accurately throughout all the centuries, I believe there's always been a remnant. There's yes, always been people that have been filled with the Spirit. Amen. Yes, sir. People that have been baptized in His name. But there was something definite that began to happen in early 1900. And just for you young ones, that was before my time. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> but 19, around 1900, some things begin to happen. And, and we're connected with that today. What started back then, we as Pentecostals, we look back to Azusa Street and that, we say, well, that's where some great things begin to happen, that revival. But it wasn't just Azusa Street. There were several things leading up to that. And it's important for us to look at, at our history and, and, and to kind of know where we come from to see where we're going. I'll start in Topeka, Kansas. Yes, sir. Now, Kansas is the middle of nowhere, you know? It's the middle of the country. Anybody from Kansas? No, sir. Okay, so I can, I can bash on Kansas. Nobody yes, intended. <laughs> no, we won't do that. But in, in, in 1901, a guy named Charles Parham, he started what we call a Bible school. It was a Bethel Gospel School in Topeka, Kansas. It was a faith school. It wasn't like the school I went to where they had tuition. Right. <laughs> Bethel, Bethel Gospel School had no tuition. Wow. But they also had no food unless you prayed right. and wow. God provided. <laughs> So it was a faith school. And they just lived by faith. And they began to study the Bible. They had no other textbooks but the Bible. And this was uh, maybe a little innovative. Uh, Charles Parham didn't quite fit in his raising, so he kind of branched out on his own. But God began to do some something unusual there. And I think it was because of their hunger and their desire. They had about 40 there in this school, and that, that included all their dependents, so some families. But they came there with a desire to learn about God and learn His Word. And they came together for that purpose. Living by faith. Prayer went on. One of these old towers, they, they bought this old mansion. Uh, it was uh, uh, called Stone Folly, because I don't think he ever finished it. It was, it was just this big, drafty old, old mansion. But one of those towers was a prayer tower. 
they had cut a hole and they had a, a chair in there and, and they would take three hour shifts and, and they kept the prayer going. Amen. So after their first uh, few weeks, their first semester was in, in December, uh, Charles Parham left for the, the holidays, he was going to be gone, and he said he left them some homework. He said, well, I'm gone. I want you to study the book of Acts and to see what was the evidence of the Spirit. Right. Now, you have to understand, he didn't have this understanding. He just felt like there was something there that they were missing. Right. So he wasn't, it wasn't like you know, teachers now that might be prodding you to come to the conclusion they've already come to. It really seems like he was wondering right. and he's questioning. Yeah. So he didn't plan any seeds in their mind to, to look for the tongue. He just said, let's look at the book of Acts. Let's see what it was like in the beginning right. and let's build on that. Right. Right. So he left them to do that. Right. And, and through that Christmas season, they were praying, they were seeking, they were reading the book of Acts. They were trying to find what it was that made that first church so unique and so powerful. And they, with, I think without exception, came to the conclusion that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they all spoke with other tongues. Right. That right. that was that, that spiritual sign, that unusual sign that they had received the Spirit. Now, this was new to them. None of them had received the Spirit like that. Right. But they came to that understanding from the Word. Yes, I believe people get into the yeah. Word and begin to honestly, prayerfully seek the Lord. There's only one conclusion they'll come to. Yep. Amen. And so uh, it, was, it was the end of the year. They had worship service at night. They prayed through the night. It was, it, there was a, such a spiritual hunger. You know, sometimes we have prayer and we try to get people to pray, you know, at least 15 minutes. We try to get people to pray. But, but there was something got a hold of them. They didn't want to stop. And they prayed through the night. And they continued to seek God. And finally, it was a, a young girl. She was about 30 at the time. Agnes Osmond, she, she prayed that, that she might receive the Spirit and speak with tongues. Because that's what the conclusion they had come to. And it was, it was after the, the watch night, it was the next night, January the 1st, 1901, and she asked him to lay hands on her and pray that she might receive the Spirit. And Agnes Osmond spoke in tongues. She spoke in tongues in such a powerful way. There was no doubt that it was the witness of the Holy Spirit. So when Charles Parham came back, he, he began to talk to him and heard what had happened, he had only known of one other person who had ever spoken in tongues. And he wrote, he wrote this in his magazine, The Apostolic Truth, and, and he was beginning to search for this, so he knew of that one person. Is this the sign that we've been looking for? And he began to explore it further. He became convinced. Now, they didn't believe it just like we do. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, but they believe that when you receive the Holy Ghost, that God would give you another language so that you could be a missionary. Right. So if you spoke Chinese, then that must mean God's called you to China. So you can go over there and you'll have to study the language. Now, I don't know. You know there, there were some of them win, and I, I don't know what all the result of that was. Now we, we don't see it fully that way. We see that other tongues might be a completely unknown tongue. It might be Spanish, you know, Japanese, who knows what. But we don't really worry about that. 
a supernatural interpretation can right. come sometimes when it's a message in tongues. But we don't necessarily look for that. We just understand that's the spirit witness that this person has received the Holy Ghost. Right. So, so that this, this understanding was coming. And I think that that's what's really interesting. So, so Parham began to teach this and began to say this is the sign of the Holy Ghost even before he received it. And, and we find that frequently in, in the, these, these early times. So then, uh, just to pause for a moment, let me take you across the pond over to Wales in the Welsh Revival. 1904 to 1905 was an incredible move of the Spirit. Now, isn't it, isn't it interesting that here this was happening in Kansas? Right. There's something happening over in Europe, in, in, in Wales. There's going to be things begin to pop out, spiritual hotspots, where people right. become yes. passionate about yeah. the move of the Spirit yeah. and desiring yeah. something from God. Yeah. Oh, put that in our hearts so God. Praise God. They begin to preach. There was a, a spiritual move. I don't know the depth of their experience, but entire towns would turn out and begin to turn their hearts to God. They said over 100,000 people were converted to Christ during that time, in a year's time. What a revival that is. From that, missionaries went to other places, and that revival began to spread throughout Europe. Lord, we need that again. <laughs> we need another spiritual move like that in Europe. In the summer of 1905, Joseph Small was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Los Angeles. And he went to visit. He heard about the revival in Wales. And when he came home, he began to preaching to his Baptist church that God has something more for us. That there can be a moving of the Spirit. There can be an outpouring of the Spirit. And they began to pray that God would do a similar work in Los Angeles. But after about 15 weeks of preaching that over and over again, the church got tired of it, and they kicked him out. <laughs> but he started another group, and they continued. He, he founded the first New Testament church and continued seeking after God. So you begin to see some of these pieces uh, of, of passion and desire. Now, on the, in the meantime, Charles Parham, who had been in, in Topeka, Kansas, he moves to uh, Houston, Texas. And he begins to teach in a, in a Bible training there. He had, uh, he had begun to teach about the Holy Spirit and how it was to come. Well, in his house, there was, there was a, actually, he had met uh, Lucy Farrell. She was a, a, a black uh, lady that was a pastor of a small uh, African-American church. And, and he had talked her into coming and where she was uh, uh, interested in his teaching, his preaching, but she became their governess. She took care of the children, she helped cook food, and she moved with them back to Kansas, then back to, back to uh, Houston, so there's, there's a lot of history there, we won't get into all that. But it was Lucy Farrell that had a hunger for God, and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Parham's home. Amen. And then she introduced William Seymour, she had got to know him. He was a young man. He was uh, passionate for God, and he was pursuing the Spirit. Well, she invited him, introduced him to Charles Parham. He became part of their Bible school training there in Houston, and, and he began to seek after the Lord. He had not yet received the Holy Ghost. Right. 
But he, there was another visitor who came from Los Angeles and said, we need a pastor in, in, in Los Angeles. And so Charles Parham helped pay his trip for William Seymour to go to Los Angeles. And, and, and so here's all these, these things happening. He went and he preached in, in a, um, I think initially it looked like it was a second Baptist church. You know, first didn't work out. So this was the second Baptist church. <laughs> but he began to preach on the Holy Ghost with speaking in tongues. And he hadn't received it yet. Right. But he began to preach it. He began to preach it. And after two days, they padlocked the church and wouldn't let him back in. <laughs> yeah. So he had to find. But one of those members, uh, Edward Lee, said, come to my house. You can stay at my house. He stayed there, and they began to have Bible studies. Right. He, he, they, then they went from there to Bonnie Bray Street, the Asbury's home. And they continued teaching about the Holy Ghost yeah. and preaching about the Holy Ghost. And none of them had received it yet. And, and, and William Seymour said, well, I know somebody who's got an anointing, somebody who has received the Spirit, and, and, and if she prays for you, you'll receive the Spirit. And it was Lucy Farrell. Wow. And he called for her and sent a message to her. They helped her come out to, uh, to Los Angeles. And, and she prayed for, for Lee. Let me, let me just pause just a moment to say he was so hungry. Uh, Edward Lee was so hungry to receive the Spirit. And he said, to Lucy he said, I believe if you'll just lay your hands and pray for me, I'll receive it. And she said, well, I can't do that until the Lord says it's time. Amen. So they were they were sitting around the table and they were about to eat. And all of a sudden she felt like it's time. So she came around the table and she said, God wants to be the Holy Ghost. And so she laid hands on him and he began to speak in other tongues. That same night, they went over to Bonnie Bray Street, to Asbury's home, and when he walked in, he threw his hands up and started speaking in other tongues, and the Holy Ghost fell on some of those others who had been seeking, and they began to speak with tongues as well. That sparked a revival. There were some things began to happen there. Not only people receiving the Holy Ghost, but, but healings and miraculous things. In somebody's house, Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. And the news spread. They began to spread. People began to come. The house filled up. They spilled outside on the porch. So this is just in a matter of days. Such a crowd came by. You couldn't get down the street. They had so many on the porch. The porch broke down. <laughs> and so they said, we got to find a place. So they found a dilapidated old building on Azusa Street. 312 Azusa Street. It was abandoned. It had been a livery stable. It had originally been an old church, uh, AME church. And, and then it was a livery stable. And then it was a warehouse. And it was pretty well dilapidated. But they went in there and they began to, uh, to have church in that, in that old livery stable. And the Holy Spirit began to do a work. Amen. And so it was, it was uh, uh, shortly after that, I think um, that was uh, uh, early April. It was April the 12th when William Seymour finally received the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, now we think that's funny. You know, he'd be up there preaching, you've got to have the Holy Ghost, and it's going to come speaking in tongues, but he hadn't had it yet. We probably wouldn't license him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we would. <laughs> Amen. But he preached it. It reminds me of his old story of Brother C.A. Nelson in Oklahoma. When he first started preaching, he didn't have the Holy Ghost. 
he'd preach the Holy Ghost and he'd get down the altar and seek the Holy Ghost. Amen. But it wasn't long before he received it. And he became one of our old time preachers in Oklahoma. So there's, you know, times have changed. Look how easy it is for people to get the Holy Ghost now. It just seems like we expect it, and it happens so spontaneously. If you're here today without the Holy Spirit, I want you to know you don't have to leave without it. God is here, and there's amazing things going to happen. So we just begin to praise Him and worship Him. It's for all of us. Praise God. So in this, in this place, they began to seek after the Lord. So they, they, uh, they, they, many people begin to to receive the spirit, the, the news began to pick it up. Los Angeles Times wrote about it. So they weren't very complimentary right. about it, but they they saw this, it, there were some unusual things about it. You have to kind of connect with the times there. This was a, a very racially divided time in our history. Uh, this, is, this, this was very common that there be a separation. But during this revival, God sent a revival where blacks, whites, other people, other races came together in a dynamic move of the Spirit. I believe God was showing us something. Yes, sir. That he's not, he's not so much interested in our race or ethnicity. Right. This is a message that is for everybody. Yes, sir. It doesn't right. matter where you come from. That's it doesn't right. matter your lineage, your parents. That's right. What matters is a heart that's hungry for yes, God. So there was intermingling of race and the group's encouragement of women in leadership was remarkable for that for that age especially. It was it was several years after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost before women had a right to vote. But the Lord didn't wait on that. He gave the Holy Ghost anyway. He used it. And some of these women were dynamic and used in the spirit to help other people. So this was a, a spontaneous moving of, of the spirit. Now the Los Angeles Times, here's what they wrote about it. They said, weird babble of tongues. Yeah. Um, they said, meetings are held in a tumble-down shack on Azusa Street. And the devotees of the weird doctrine practice the most fanatical rites. They preach the wildest theories and work themselves up in a state of mad excitement in their peculiar zeal. Colored people and a sprinkling of whites Compose the congregation, and night is made hideous in the neighborhood by the howlings of the worshipers who spend hours swaying forth and back in nerve-wracking attitude of prayer and supplication. They claim to have the gift of tongues and be able to understand the battle. This is what secular newsprint work. So we shouldn't be surprised when not everybody embraces your experience and what's going on here. Because this is something that the carnal mind doesn't embrace right. nor understand. Yep. However, there, you know, and there were those who wrote uh, concerning the positive side of it. The Apostolic Faith publication uh, from their headlines that Pentecost has come. Amen. Los Angeles being visited by a revival of Bible salvation and Pentecost as recorded in the book of Acts. Amen. In this edition of this paper it said proud well-dressed preachers came in to investigate soon their high looks were replaced with wonder then conviction comes and very often you'll find them in a short time wallowing on the dirty floor asking god to forgive them and make them like little children 
So there was, you know, we do say that there was something amazing happened in Azusa Street. Using a very humble black man who came there with humility. Yes, sir. He said, you know, of course, they had church like continually. You think, you know, you have a long service once in a while. I mean, they, they went on sometimes through the night. And he would, he would preach, but a lot of times they had two fruit boxes, just wooden boxes for a pulpit. So it wasn't very glorious. And they said most of the time his head was in the box. Some of them got to making fun of that and said, what's in that box? But really it was just in humility he was right, praying right. and said, God speak to me. Yeah. God give us a moving spirit. I'm, I don't want to speak until you have something to say. And he would spend time just praying in that box. But when he came out he gave a word from the Lord. Amen. The spirit demonstration was seen and felt. And he was back into the box. So he's not being lifted up. He's not saying, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I've accomplished. But just in humility. I believe if we're humble before God. Yeah. And we just begin to seek after God. Yeah. We're going to be amazed at what he will do. Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sir. And it's completely out of our control. Completely out of our hands. But God is moving. I'm, I'm really looking forward to... A second Azusa. I don't think it's going to be on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. Right. It may not be here on 7th Street in Safford, but some of it can be. Right. It may not be you know, on Greenfield Road in, in Gilbert, but I want my part of it there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Whatever God's doing, I want to be a part of that. What would happen if we earnestly began to pray for a second Azusa? An outpouring of Holy Spirit fire. It will not just be one place, but many places. It will not be just one church, but many churches. It will not even just be one affiliation or denomination. But whosoever will, let it come and drink the water. 
recently we've been visiting our church with uh, uh, a state president from the LDS. I don't, are we being live streamed? I'll be careful. Amen. But uh, uh, very sweet people. And I know they didn't come to experience Pentecost. They came to build relationship in the community. They want to be accepted and they want us to, to feel some connection with them. I understand that. We're guilty of doing that. We try to make, make connections with people because we know we got something they need. Right, right. But I appreciate them coming. And they've been so kind and complimentary. But the one thing that stood out both times that they came, they said, you know, we, we always love coming here. Your worship is amazing. And, and said, we notice how everything you do is about Jesus. And I said, yes. <laughs> they notice <laughs> it's all about Jesus. That's right. But then he wrote me a long email. He said, he said, what I'm gonna do, I think we can learn something from Life Church. He said, I'm talking to our ward leaders, and he's over eight wards. He said, I'm talking to them about focusing more on Jesus. Amen. I want them to share their experiences and their testimony of what Jesus means to them. And uh, they, they invited us to their state meeting. We had a, another uh, obligation, but they got with us. We, we had dinner together with them. We visited with them. And, and we had this ongoing relationship. And, and I think the Lord just kind of let me see something in that. He said, you know, of course, I'd like to get all of them coming to Life Church. But what would happen if they all begin to focus on Jesus? What would happen if they begin to get in the book of Acts? They study the book of Acts, but what if they really, like those in Topeka, Kansas, said, God, if there's something here we need, I want to see it. I want to know it. What would happen to the LDS if in, in Gilbert or in Thatcher there was an outpouring of the spirit of the LDS? Boy, wouldn't that shake things up? <laughs> That you know God is able to do that. Anywhere people are hungry. Anywhere people begin to seek after God and seek after truth. A second and two that can point out anywhere that people seek God and look after Hallelujah, hallelujah. We've been doing some preview services in Queen Creek, about 15 miles from us. Got a young couple that's gonna uh, pastor a church there. So starting his uh, daughter work there. That's the first of the year. So we've had two services. We'll have another one next Sunday, Sunday evening. And uh, uh, David met a, uh, he met a, a, a pastor there. And he's the pastor of a Baptist church. And uh, I told him what they was trying to do once starting a new church. And he said, why don't you just come and you could use our church. So we uh, kind of talked about it, made arrangements and we're giving them an offering to uh, help cover any utilities or anything they use there. But other than that, it was just kind of, you're welcome to use our church. Amen. They had a Spanish group in the afternoon there. So we get in there at 5 o'clock and have church. So the first service was in, uh, was in October. And uh, the Baptist pastor and his wife came. They just wanted to check out this group, make sure they were okay, you know. Their worship pastor, uh, worship leader, is also a, a minister, and we met him and his wife. We just had what to us is a normal service. Praise team got up, worship, you know, had a good message. 
And afterward, the Baptist pastor, he said, well, it was all right. I didn't hear any heresy. I said, oh, just wait. <laughs> Probably wasn't the best response, but sometimes I'm out. But, uh, but he was okay with it. And then I talked to the worship leader. He said, he said and he said it kind of whispering, he said, I have to confess, I'm a charismatic Pentecostal. I said, oh, really? He said, he kind of did the zip your lips, you know. He said, around here, I can't talk about it. But you know, he felt something in that worship. He felt that his wife is uh, in a serious uh, condition with cancer. And he asked us to pray. My wife actually went over and prayed with David and Stephanie as they prayed for, prayed for this dear lady. But he left that service and he went home. And he called David the next day. He said, I want to get together. He said, I had a renewing of the Holy Ghost last night. Praise God. I don't know what all his experience is, but he could feel the Spirit, and he knew that God was moving in that place, and it gave him a hunger. He said, oh, we've been in a desert here. We need to feel the Spirit. Amen. Just pray for Larry and maybe that God will open up their lives and their hearts to what Jesus wants to do in their lives. What if every Baptist church would begin to seek after the Lord? What if, what if every non-denominational church, it seemed like that's the trend. Nobody wants to be a denomination. So yes, all these, what if they begin to really seek after God? What if the Holy Ghost begin to be poured out of their midst? Oh, we saw the, the charismatic renewal back in the 70s. There's a lot of junk that went along, but there was a lot of passionate people that were seeking after God. And people in the Catholic Church were speaking in tongues. And people in the Episcopal Church were speaking in tongues. God, send another Azusa. Send an outpouring in the Spirit. That's going to see May every formal traditional assembly be moved on by the power of God. May every LDS state house experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. May every non-denominational church be overflowing with the power and manifestation of God's Spirit. This is our day. This is our hour. God wants to do something in the east of Arizona. He wants to pour His Spirit out. Hallelujah. He's doing something great. We have a message. This isn't something new. We can take them back to the book of Acts. Yep. We can take them back to the Old Testament yep. prophets. And we can take them back to Topeka, Kansas, and Azusa Street. But God is still moving. Amen. That same spirit is still here. Amen. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's a promise. Promise to you, your children, all that are far off. Today, there are over 500 million Pentecostals and charismatic believers across the globe. That's a half billion. 500 million. In Dan Seagrave's research, he reports that some 600 million people in the world claim some type of identification with Pentecostal movement. That makes Pentecostal movement next in size to the Roman Catholic Church. They claim 900 million. Amen. I think we're on our way to catching up and surpassing. In the United States, there's close to 100 million people who have embraced some form of Pentecostalism. And about one-fourth of those identify as oneness Pentecostals. Isn't that incredible? We've come a long way from across the tracks. Right? We've come a long way from those bunch of holy rollers. 
but you know, we can't be lifted up and say, well, you know, now we're uptown. No, we got to have that same passion yes, sir, for the right. move of the Spirit. Hallelujah. 